all got that voice in our head that tells us we can't do stuff. But some people are just better at not listening to it. And by sitting down with those people, asking them questions, and then you know, recording it and blasting it out on the internet, perhaps, maybe, I can help other people like me get out of our own way. Hey guys, welcome back to Closure Optional. Now first, I just wanted to say I'm sorry about not having a podcast last week. I take this thing very seriously, in fact, probably too seriously, and it fucking bothers me that I wasn't consistent last week. Um, there's no excuse, really. It was just that I, my guest didn't work out for the week, and uh, I was struggling to get anybody kind of booked in in time around my schedule and their schedule, so... It didn't work out. Um, what I did realize, though, is that it matters more to me that I'm producing this thing on a weekly basis and doing a good job. So I'm going to be making more podcasts on my own, just in case anything like that does happen and I don't have a guest, you'll have an interesting podcast regardless. I got a lot of good feedback out of that drug war podcast. So, um, you know, the beauty about podcasts is if you don't fucking like hearing me talk for an hour, great, no problem, just skip it. You don't have to listen to it. And if you do and you don't like listening to my guests, then great, these podcasts will be the ones for you. So I've got a couple cool topics lined up to start talking about. I've started recording one yesterday, which is good. And um, if you do hear me talk or someone talk about a concept on the podcast and you want to know more about it, we didn't go into enough enough depth, um, send me a message so I know that uh, it was sparked your intrigue, and I'll do some research and put it out there for you. Now, my guest this week is a wonderfully good guest. His name is Aidan Killian, and he is an Irish comedian that is over here touring at the moment. He actually lives in Bangkok and uh, hangs out over there. I just found out that his girlfriend does work for the UN in stopping sex trafficking, which is fucking incredible, and I can imagine a very intense job over there. Um, I'd love to talk to her more about that. But this is a great conversation. It's very silly and rambling. Um, we jump from topic to topic all over the place. We talk about karate and getting in the zone. We talk about consciousness, the nature of life and death. Uh, we talk a lot about um, the historical Jesus, which neither of us knew anything about and realized pretty quickly that we shouldn't be talking about it. If you'd like to see Aiden perform, he will be performing this Sunday, the day that this podcast is going to be released, at the Palm Beach Hotel uh, the based comedy shows are always free, and they're there every Sunday night. He'll be headlining this Sunday, and the show starts at 7.30 p.m. if you want to go and see him. And also, if you want to see other stuff that he's doing, he's got a website, AidenKillian.com, and that the links to that will be on my website as well as on this Facebook post. Lastly... It is also the second day of November, which means that we have started a new closure optional challenge. And this month we're calling it Notevember. And that means that we have to write three pages in a journal every day for the entire month. I got this idea because a good friend of mine gave me the book, The Artist's Way. And it's one of the exercises out of the book to help creative people get past their creative blocks. 
Um, I used it because I was struggling with making artwork at one point, feeling a bit lonely and lost, and I ended up writing a book at the end of the process. So it might derail your creative process a little bit, but at least you'll get something cool out of it. So the whole concept, she calls it morning pages, and that you just have to write three pages of whatever the fuck is going on inside your head with no judgment and a minimum of three pages. So it forces you into a practice of discipline, obviously, and makes you spend that kind of 15 to 20 minutes of you time for your own self without looking at your goddamn telephone or checking your Facebook or posting a stupid selfie on Instagram. So uh, I'll let you know how that one goes. Other than that, I hope you have a great week, and sorry, I will never do that to you again. Well, let's not say never, you know, just in case. But I'll hopefully always have a podcast for you every single week, even if it's just me rambling on my own. Have a great week. Talk to you again soon. Hi. Uh, <laughs> Hi. Hey. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. It's good to be here. Yeah, I'm so I'm so pleased to have you here. Even all that effort. You're the least um, painful comedian that I know, though. So that's really good. That's good. I thought you were going to say sexy there for some reason. <laughs> You're the least. Could be anything. You say. Yeah. <laughs> Why sexy? Why did that one come to you? I don't know. It was the first thing. You thing. are the like, least sexy. I'm, I'm, maybe that was my biggest fear. What are you going to say? What's on the least what? What's where, where? What am I lacking most? I just pictured the bald head and the, the, the putting on weight. You're the least in he- healthy <laughs> comic. <laughs> least intelligent. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, well, sexy, I guess that's your Freudian slip yeah, then, isn't no, it? That's yeah, right. where your biggest fears are. Not Why aren't you possibly. sexy enough? So I think it's out of self-choice because um, I could easily be in better shape or, you know, f- fix my hair, get those implants. Oh, yeah, the I, implants. And, and also sexy. I'm sexy enough. I'm sexy <laughs> enough because I, I have someone in my life and you can't yeah. have... You don't want to be tem- tempting other people. Right, it's like, yeah. Like the Buddhists, I learned this thing from uh, Buddhists that let's say you've got your phone or your money, you don't leave it lying around. Not in case someone steals it as such. It's so that you don't tempt someone mm-hmm. else to steal it. So yeah, it's for others. That's why they say that they make Muslim women wear the all those clothing. It's right. because the women are too sexy otherwise. Well. I'll, I will, I'll never know. <laughs> You'll never know. Well, that's it. You're obviously not tempted by them. Uh, well, I don't know. I never get to see them. Yeah. They're, they're hiding. They're, I, I always thought they're just... So it works. Women's temperature is lower than men. I just felt they're <laughs> looking after their women. Because women in Ireland <laughs> well, are always complaining. Like, they're always like, compl- I'm too cold. I'm too cold. Oh, here, put on your hijab. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this will shut you up. <laughs> um, yeah, well... <laughs> It's uh, a good start. I like that. <laughs> let's get straight into the Muslims. What, what's next? Let's let's follow up with the Jews. So, hey, did that Holocaust ever happen? <laughs> All right. Yeah, I know. There's plenty of reason to believe it didn't. But we were just talking about that. I'm <laughs> just joking. Um, there is no evidence, really, to believe that it didn't happen. It's just evidence. I mean, it's hard to know if anything happened exactly the way we're told in the past because oh, we see so not. many things today that are told, oh, this is why we need to go to Libya mm. or Iraq. And, and because it's lies, we're forced to question everything in the past. Every single war from the beginning of time, including the Irish famine, for example, or yeah. why the Irish were in Australia or anything. So we, it's, I think it's our responsibility to question the Holocaust, actually. Yeah, but I mean, not as an attack on any type of people. Just to question all the facts that were given. Because 
who knows? Maybe there was eight million people killed. I mean, yeah. we should just look at everything. Yeah, man. I watched this great little documentary the other day about the origins of World War One, and I had no idea. Like, so what happened in America? It, in when we were trying to go to Iraq, when I was still at school, George Bush was the president, and they. France didn't want to agree to us. Like, the France of all of the other Western nations was like, no, you're not going to Iraq. It's not okay. And so all of a sudden, everywhere in America, what they used to sell French fries or French toast, it became freedom fries, freedom toast, because we weren't allowed to say French anymore because the French were our enemies suddenly. And I thought that was just so fucking stupid at the time. And I was like, God, George Bush is such a fucking moron that that would be a, a thing that comes out of his presidency. But I didn't realize that in World War I, the exact same thing happened and they, against the Germans. So German shepherds were called police dogs. And anything that was German, German sausage or whatever, were called liberty sausages. Wow, that's how you deal with it. Just, mm-hmm. just change your words. Well, that will, that'll fix everything. Mm-hmm. So if you don't like, I don't know, what's what's... I was trying to think of something Spanish, like a Spanish omelette. You just call it the... Yeah, the Liberty Omelette. And like what's creepy about it is that they use words like that. Like this is so American propaganda, the Liberty Omelette, the Freedom Fries. Like that because we're the fighters for freedom for everyone. Not to mention that we're just over there fucking demoralizing and murdering. Yeah, man. It just takes takes a long time before people can face the actual truth and the horror of mm. what's going on but it's a big responsibility to know that your tax money is going to oh, I know, bomb man. the shit out of and it's so frustrating <laughs> like it, it, don't you just wish that we could just be like hey i don't agree with the way you're spending my taxes i'm not going to do that right now Well, you can but you just get punished for it yeah that's fucked but we don't like if if it's 50 percent tax we pay right and i have that means i have to make a hundred thousand to have fifty thousand and if out of that fifty thousand i pay you one thousand dollars to interview me today, right? <laughs> so you get your $1,000. I will need that before you go. <laughs> yeah. Oh, hang on. So let me see how much I have here in my wallet. Hope you take IOUs. <laughs> I'll write you a check, which would probably have more power than cash in some places. Mm. But it, then your 1000 when you pay your tax, comes 500 So the 2000 they've taken 1500 so far out of that money. And that's madness. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. It's just crazy. It's, cra- it's just mad. Well, and craziness. it was founded in, in, the con- in like the general concept of trust at the very beginning. It did make sense. Like, look, us as a community, we're going to pay these social or these um, government p- servants. What are they called? People servants? I think it's slaves. <laughs> I think it's slaves. Whatever. <laughs> public servants. Jesus, that's the word I'm looking for. So you pay a public servant to do the service of the people. And that's where the tax money goes. That makes sense. And it is. If logically, it does it makes go sense. there. But it doesn't fucking right. go there anymore. That's the problem. Right. Like, um, you know, the prison industrial complex in the U.S., like that it costs more money for us to have a prisoner. Like, it would be something stupid. Because you're paying a private corporation to have people in jail, they're the ones that, it's not just the, the prisons themselves. The prisons, some of them are actually privately owned, so they're a corporation themselves. But all of the, the food goes into it, the washing that goes into it, all of the stuff that goes into keeping prisoners in prison are run by corporations. And so when we pay, we actually, the taxpayer, is paying those people to make millions of dollars of incarcerating people that shouldn't be in jail for nonviolent drug crimes, whatever. All of those people, especially drug addicts or anybody involved in nonviolent drug crimes, could get treatment for their addiction and psychological help for like a quarter of the price that we pay as a taxpayer to keep them in jail. Mm, yeah, but what would scare the middle class into working then? Yeah, if we didn't have, if we weren't sending people to prison, then the middle class might get, you know. 
complacent, complacent. <laughs> well, yeah, Tinder yeah. would explode. Yeah. But I think that's I think that's the problem right now. Like people are too complacent in general in all fucking aspects in the Western world right now. Like, like what I was talking about before was I was coming to get you. Just like that, human beings have no means of communication anymore. No concept of like oh, I've made a plan I need to do that plan so remember like when we were younger and we didn't have a phone if you were going to go and play at Johnny's house you had to be at Johnny's house at x time or meet him at the park at x time or whatever you right. had to make plans and go and do it and if you couldn't figure it out like you'd go and walk to your friend's house and go and hang out with them you just turn up yeah knock mm. on the door there's and then, yeah. it was so much more intimate it was so much more uh, trusting and caring and respectful towards each other and now we're so fucking lazy it's just like, oh, yeah, I guess I'll send you a text if I think about it. And then sometimes you don't hear from somebody for the whole day and a half. And then you're like, oh, were we supposed to hang out? Is that working? Is it not? I don't know. And the, and But then they'll be on Facebook liking your pictures. And you're like, hey, you could have liked me in real life. You could have liked by turning up. Yeah, just show up. Just hang out with me for an hour. And that's all you had to do. I don't give a fuck if you like my picture on Instagram. I mean, it's easier not to connect, isn't it? I mean, well, yeah, yeah, there's some major risk in connection, connecting yeah, to another person because there's a feedback loop. You might get rejected. Mm-hmm. They might not like what you say. Yeah, oh, fully, yeah. I know. But that's how you do develop nuance, man. And Because I think that's why we're so addicted to social media is because we understand. In the same way, like I've been thinking about this a little bit because I'm recording a podcast on it, um, actually, is the idea that like, when you take a selfie and you put a filter on it, um, and it doesn't really look like you, but it looks great or whatever you've taken, take, taken, you take like 60 of these photos, you pick the one and you're like, Oh, beautiful day at the beach, Instagram. And then, you know, that it took 60 photos to get there and there's a filter on it and you're making a stupid face that you don't make in real life. Right. So all of those likes and all the shit that you get and everyone sound gorgeous, babes, you know, all that nonsense isn't getting to the core of you because you know, it's based on a lie. Subconsciously or consciously, I don't know. You know no. that it's a fucking lie. It's an imposter syndrome. Yes. It's, yeah, right? This, Magnified. This concept of, but you know it's even worse because you know it's not you. So they're liking someone that's just a, an ideal of you. So the difference between who you are and where you want to be, mm-hmm. it's just highlighting the gap. So they're liking the person you're not. Right. So ultimately... <laughs> you're and just setting yourself up for pain constantly and you're constantly creating that divide so the further the more you notice that people are in love with the ideal that you're presenting the less you know how to take yeah. care of yourself and what's cre- like creepy and kind of oxymoronic about it is at the same time as you get that like you know that little notification shows up on your phone you still do get a little surge of dopamine like Ooh. validated I'm, yeah you get validated which wow 16 and i only put it up a minute ago yeah. wow oh my god <laughs> it's just <laughs> look fucking... how many comments i got <laughs> yeah and then so then it, it it spurs on that behavior it's the same thing as a drug addict it j- just spurs on that fucking attention seeking behavior cuz it's like wait i they like that picture of me at the beach i'll do the same face and the same filter inside my bedroom tonight and then oh how about this one and it's just this fucking gross vicious cycle where nobody knows how to relate to anybody else and the, all we're doing is cries for attention with a fake plea well it's just a bit it's just a bit sad really I mean, mm-hmm. it's just one more area in humanity that we look and go oh that's fucked yes what's we're wrong fucked. with us but i think it's it's easier to see now because we have the speed of the mm. internet and our messenger and our Instagram. Mm. So, you know, someone, our grandparents would look at this. Like I remember once as a kid, you know, we were talking about what's cool in school. Myself and my sister were talking about who's cool and who's not cool or something. And my granny tried to ask us, to, she was genuinely asking, what does that mean? And then she said, we didn't have that. We didn't have that 
oh, wow. in school who's cool or not. We were just, we were all there and we were just f- f- friends and we got really? on well, yeah. How old would she have been? Would she be? Oh, she's 93 now, so. Uh, so that's, she would have been in school during World War II. But my, because my right, grandma is 90 no. and that, and she got evacuated. She would have been in sixth grade, I think, yeah, we and was evacuated. We didn't have the war in Ireland because we, um, we just didn't get involved. We were neutral. Oh, really? Just, yeah. I'm not saying that we were a safe haven for people who needed it either, but we just mm. we didn't get involved. In fact, I think we congratulated Hitler when he <laughs> took over Czechoslovakia. Our president <laughs> congratulated him for taking his land back. Wow. Yeah, yeah. well, I mean, because yeah. that, that was all the aftermath of that disgusting shit that went down after World War One. I. I, I didn't realize how much there was to this. I don't remember what got me down this path. Oh, it was because I was researching this podcast about the drug war and Harry Anslinger and like where he's the main guy that kind of started the drug laws that we now have in place and the reason why we even have a drug war. He was, okay. one, he was like the first original U.S. drug czar. Um, and so he came about in the 1930s-ish. All right. And he served in World War One just a little bit in the in the U.S. Army. He, well, he couldn't really serve in the Army because his, he was blind in one eye. His brother threw a rock at his head. <laughs> but he still turned up. What did he do? Like he. I like that you laughed at that. When I, when I read that, I laughed out loud, and then I realized later that's not fair to laugh at someone. Well, it's not, I think I just laughed at the, the smirk in your face, the enjoyment <laughs> you had. But, yeah, well, just the, the concept of the brother or sister. That might, when I was old enough to climb the stairs but not old enough to do it without my hands I was still using my hands crawling up quickly yeah. I was chasing my sister because she was older than me and she was picking on me and when I got to the top because she was faster she'd speed to turn around and then kick me back down <laughs> yeah right so but that's what brothers and sisters do so throwing a rock is a little bit extreme but we've probably all done it yeah I got yeah. poked in the eye with a stick once we were afraid I was going to be blind shitty stick yeah it didn't do poked. much damage I've got like amazing eyes though yeah I've just, you can so, tell <laughs> they're so I've been strong. thinking that the whole interview <laughs> it's actually the main reason I turned up today <laughs> it's the only reason I want to pay a thousand dollars for the interview but also <laughs> just, just to stare <laughs> yeah. did you want to take them in a jar hazel green yeah just one just one <laughs> just one the one that got hit I only by the need shitty one. stick yeah. I really do only need one you can have the damaged one um, but yeah, so he couldn't serve in the army. <clears throat> so he went over there and was working as a diplomat and found out that all these people were getting addicted to heroin over there and seeing, you know, good young kids turning into addicts and fucked up and going to brothels and losing their shit. And not once did anybody think like, hmm, maybe it's weird that we send an 18 year old to go murder a bunch of strangers in a foreign country where they're completely cut off from their family and everything they ever know. And facing imminent death every fucking day and not knowing if they're going to die. Like, that probably doesn't have any impact on whether or not they want to take drugs. They're just drug addicts. Well, and the drugs I, are bad. I think that it's a horrible thing to have to do. If you have to put down a dog, for example, that's not easy for people to do. Mm. Or if you have to beat a sheep to death, that's not easy for someone to do. Nah. So to actually do it to a human is going to be... You have to really build up a block to really, to really uh, cut off from your very sense of being. Mm. And if you're cutting yourself off you need to escape from if you sit still and meditate on that you're going to feel pain you're going to if you oh, hurt Jesus. so so escape or heroin or any drug or lots of alcohol or even lots of sex or just any addiction form just anything to take your mind off yeah it makes right? perfect Esca- sense escapism i think i do a lot of heroin as well yeah if fuck. i could i do it every day yeah you know, rather than especially <laughs> then if you couldn't turn up to work <laughs> I mean, what happens if you just didn't do it i suppose your own people turn on you mm. Well, and I think almost doing nothing, do you mean not going to the war or like, just... Like, yeah, I mean, would you have been, 
Yeah, you go to prison if you were. If you yeah, were you go to but, prison. But how badly would you be treated there? Would you? Would you? Would you live? Yeah, I, I don't think so, man. I think like the fear. This is another crazy thing about human beings that the fear of being ostracized and like cut off from your group, your social group, and your peer group is worse than going to war to kill in the name of the brotherhood. But I don't think they sell it to you like that. You know, they sell it to you like, oh, com- camaraderie, you're going to make lots of friends, you'll get skills, yeah. you'll come back, there'll be honor, people will treat you well. They don't, they don't show you the picture of, of the, the mother crying as she's holding her child with no legs. You don't mm. see the picture of the fucking house and the half-burnt family mm. that you caused. You don't see that, mm. right? You just see the fucking, oh, I'll be... I'll be wearing my soldier uniform and all the chicks will see me with my muscles and they'll be so impressed because I'll be like, I can use a gun. I can use... Look at me. And I'll tell you what, there is, like what we were talking about in the car on the way here, the idea of that camaraderie that happens when you do something scary. Like when I, um, I was, we were talking about fighting and, and the kind of like bond that you get with your team, my trainer's in the corner and me, I know I'm going into battle. I have no idea what's going to happen. I know I'm not going to die because it's a regulated event and it's very unlikely that I'll die, but I'm putting myself in this like crazy physical pressure. And when I have my team behind me, like you have developed this insane level of intimate bonding with them. And it's beyond sex. It's beyond brotherhood. It's like this really unusual sense of like, you're my lifeline and you're the only thing that's saving me. And we've got each other's back kind of. And I think that on a level of war, you know, the kind of brotherhood that those guys would develop. And that's something that everybody's missing. Like with, through the social media world, I doesn't, it actually makes sense to me that that would be appealing to somebody. It's like, you don't feel like you fit in at home. You got no life to live. Let's, well, we used to have our Christianity or, you know, your Protestant right. or Catholic or your, your part of that group. But now not pe- people aren't buying into that so much these days. So now, like, you got your football teams. Oh, yeah, I wear the blue, so I'm the blue fan. Oh, you wear right. the red. So people just are screaming to fucking be part of something. Right. I mean, you mentioned fighting. I used to do karate, and I was on the Irish karate team back in, like, 99. And, and there was that. But also, I remember we were fighting the Europeans and there was a French guy and he could do the splits but not just the splits we could nearly always most of us could do that but he could do the splits against the wall standing up oh yeah so he stood up against the wall and did the splits and me and Flano (laughs) David we saw him and we were like oh my god look at this guy right and then we were fighting France and that guy was lined up because you do like five people all line up and they face the same way and they bow then they turn to each other and bow and then I saw that that guy was up against Flano and I start, and I just, you never do this in, in like, you know, you're very serious before the fight. You, you know, you're doing mm-hmm. your bows and you're in your key, but I whisper in his ear, you're fucked, <laughs> right? Right? But then what happened was Splits guy swapped places, which uh, you're not allowed to do, right? You're not allowed to do that. Like, that should have well, been he stopped. He didn't like the looks of Flano. I don't know what happened, but he swapped places. And then he was against me, and all I could see is David's flannel's <laughs> shoulders going up and down because he was trying not to laugh because you know he knew he'd get in trouble, and I got hurt so bad. Like, oh I mean, fuck! F- five seconds in, just straight kick. Isn't that crazy? How sometimes people just have this like possess this thing about them, and you look at them and go, "Oh fuck, I do not want to touch you." You try and convince yourself that you have a chance. <laughs> yeah. You try and think positive. No, I can do this. I can. You know, you got to because you have to have that mentality. Mm. Right, and then, but I knew, my soul knew, there was no, (laughs) I was never going to land anything, there was no, if I got out of there, 
if I was able to walk at the end of it. What ended up happening? Do you remember what damage you got? He hit me in the head. Uh, he came, kicked me with the right foot on the left-hand side of my head hard. You know, it wasn't controlled. He could have been disqualified for that because you can kick someone in the stomach as hard as you like or punch uh-huh. them, but you, in the, there's meant to be control for the head. And he didn't control it as well as he should have. Maybe he expected me to move a bit. <laughs> You're <laughs> just I, shitting yourself. I, wasn't a, I just wasn't even quick enough to block it, you know. Oh. And, and I just went straight down and my the right nostril started bleeding. And I was not, you know, the, the, the ref did the numbers and everything. But I remember sucking in the, the blood because I didn't want the, the ref to see it. Because if he'd kicked me in the face and I started bleeding, he probably would have been disqualified. Oh, wow. Right? And I was afraid that if that happened, I'd have to fight again so I, <laughs> I just fucking took the hit and let the blood let the blood come the second time, but it was too late because it was after the kick so they yeah, mm. anyway oh funny it was fine i wasn't that properly damaged just my ego and my mentality well, that's and, it but you know what he was brilliant so i, I was always gonna lose again he was really talented powerful fighter so. mm. i think there's there's definitely an element of this where your brain gives up on you when you know you have to fight again that my worst fights Two, the two fights that I remember that are literally my worst fights were going into a tournament knowing that if I won, I'd have to continue. So I just fucking, I would get in there and be like, I don't want to do this again. There's no yeah. way I want to do this again. So I would almost like sabotage it so badly that I would lose the fight. But again, my ego was strong enough that I was like, well, I can't lose. Like, I'm not going to lose. Right. So I, I, did, I, have, I didn't lose them. And I won, and I went through to the other fight. And then the second fight was both of them were, were the two, these two championships. And both of them, the second fight, were just like a dream. Like, they just happened immediately. It was fine. I got straight through it because it was like I was back in my normal headspace. Or even better because I was just so relieved that it was over. I don't know if that's the right mentality to have fighting. This is why I think I'm considering that fighting's probably not my thing. Because mm. I think most fighters, like, want to get in there and just keep going. They just get... Fired up by it. The flannel was like that. I was scared. I was not only scared of getting hit, but I was also scared of hitting people. Me too, yeah. I was yeah, like yeah. <laughs> really not cut out for it. But I mean, it's, it's helped me in life. I've been mm. in real life fights, which I don't mind when people start picking up glasses or something, just knock them out of their hands, sweep them down. But I don't have that killer thing where I'd hit them when they're going down the ground. I just sweep them and then just walk out of there untouched. Yeah, run pay. away crying. Yeah, yeah run <laughs> as fast as my cowardly little legs can, <laughs> yeah. can run. You know me. You know, like you know I, me. I know you. <laughs> um, but you were just home then recently, weren't you? You haven't been back in Ireland for a long fucking time. Yeah, I've lived in Asia for the best part of four or five years, pretty much. Do you yeah. watch much Thai boxing over there? No, none. None, because you live I hate, in Bangkok. I hate watching fights. Mm. I mean, I'd only watch it if, if there was a tourist over. But like the real serious stuff, I don't like watching because I just I just remember the own pain, the yeah. pain of getting hit. <laughs> yeah, I feel own. sorry for the people when they get hit hit hard. Mm. You know, when they're getting kneed in the ribs, I'm like, that's really gonna hurt tomorrow. Or kicked in the shin, I'm like, no, this yeah. is this is this is. St- hey, ref, stop it! Someone's gonna get hurt. <laughs> Somebody's gonna get hurt. <laughs> that's me in Give the background with my popcorn and <laughs> tears in my eyes. <laughs> Well, it's better that you're doing comedy then. What's it like doing that over there in Bangkok? It's all right, man. We do it in front of expats like British, Australians, uh, Americans, Irish. Who's mostly over there? Australian? I don't know, actually. It depends oh. on where, which particular city. Ah, like, true. I don't know, like Singapore. Oh, you were talking about in Bangkok. What is this? Are there many Aussies? I don't know that many Aussies, but maybe they just stick together. Mm. The camaraderie, 
you know, to, yeah, the Americans are easier to spot because yeah, wow, <laughs> wow, look at that. <laughs> That's what exactly what I sound like. There's a Starbucks in Bangkok. Let's go there. <laughs> oh, yeah. my people are so embarrassing. <laughs> I've tried to distance Neato. myself so far. Neato. So far. <laughs> As you do. Nah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, there was a monthly club, and now there's, now there's lots of clubs, so that's nice. That's good. Yeah, it keeps the power, power in balance, yeah. you know, so you don't end up having a kingpin at the top that just keeps sucking everyone's dicks, well, or we, vice versa. We did it. I'm involved with Magners International Comedy Festival, and that's an annual festival over there all over Asia and one of the reasons I got involved is because my girlfriend's French she works for the UN out there uh, transnational crime about like you know women being trafficked in Asia it's not all that Whoa, pleasant work but man. it's good work that needs to be done she wanted to wow. commit for another year and I said fine so I got involved in this festival to you know to make some money and I really enjoyed it my business partner's awesome he's got more right. experience and we're we're growing that. But one of the things that we did was, because there was just one kingpin in Bangkok, we just facilitated at a financial loss the other comedian guy who was trying to make a club. Mm-hmm. So we just paid for the acts. He'd get, take all the ticket sales one after another until he sort of built up a bit of strength. So now there's two comedy clubs competing in a natural, more friendly oh, way. Oh, good. Oh, yeah, cool. So we're, yeah, which is nice. And so, so did good you... for the comedy scene. Yeah, fuck yeah. Did you, um, yeah, because it's nice to be able to go to different locations and see different comics on different nights. If it's only just the one thing, everybody's just considering. Yeah, and it's content. improv, which is a different uh, area. He does a lot of improv. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah improv's a fucking oh, a whole nother kettle of fish. The, um, well, would you, I, don't, so, I don't touch improv. Nah, man, I don't, I don't. I had a thought the other day that I should do, should go and try and do an improv course so I can get used to being better at just bouncing off my head with it's ideas. Fun. It's beautiful to do. I, mm. I did it. I'm really bad at it, but I did it and I had fun trying not to be bad at it and then laughing at myself for being so shit at it. Yeah. But I enjoy doing it, just watching it. It needs to be at the very high, highest level to yeah. watch. Yeah, I agree. My oh, A friend of mine back home uh, is in LA working now and she works for one of them, Up, Upright Citizens Brigade over there, and she fucking loves it. And her comedy is very good. Like, their group is really good, but they've been doing that for centuries over there. That's the same as anything. If you want to be a fighter, you can't just turn up once a week, yeah, like, oh. late for a one-hour class, do some stretching, and expect it. you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Expect to get to any level of... But I think one of the best things about improv, I think, and acting in general, is like that... Uh, I tend to take myself too seriously and I get a feeling that all of a sudden I've become a bit rigid. This is why I like smoking weed so much. Though like every once in a while I just get really stoned so I can have a laugh at myself and realize that I'm not important. Do you know what I mean? Like sometimes I'll just get so caught up in my life and like I need to be a someone. I need to be a thing. I need to do stuff. And then all of a sudden I'll get high and I'll be like, oh yeah, it's not a big deal. Just fucking let it roll. You're okay. And that's one of the nice things about improv is that like you have to completely commit to being that f- whatever that stupid thing is that you're supposed to do for that period of time. Like, oh, he's a plumber in a cake shop. And then you have to really commit to it or else it is so corny and cheesy. Like, if you even think about it being corny and cheesy, it will be. It's over. You yeah, it's over. Know. You have to just fucking dive in balls deep. Well, it takes, takes and I think some that's courage. Hard to do. It takes courage to do that. Mm. You, know, you got to drop all your sense of, you know, being cool. Yeah, exactly. So I prefer to be cool again, and hide right? behind a microphone. Yeah, right. Okay, well, you're doing, <laughs> edit you're, it doing, later. you're doing that pretty well. <laughs> I'll just edit it later and just cut all of your stupid bits out, just, my stupid just bits Just cut out. me out completely. <laughs> yeah. 
I know. Oh, like people like are on the here to listen to me. Put the Instagram <laughs> thing. You just cut out any bit that doesn't make us look good. <laughs> yeah. you know, Hi, I'm Awesome Lorna. Hi. <laughs> hey, you're tuned in. Uh, <laughs> God, I couldn't imagine it. Like that is a funny thing. I watched a great episode on Mark Maron where he was like having a battle with the people that are in radio, and he was like, "I can do whatever the fuck I want to do. You have to do this bullshit." And this is the nicest thing about the podcast. I literally can just do whatever the fuck I want. And I really Mm. like it. Well, that is interesting, isn't it? Those radio voices. There's a guy, can I say his name? No, probably, maybe, I don't know. There's a guy called Dermot in Ireland, right? And he's a radio guy as well. No, probably our biggest radio guy or certainly one of them. And he's a comic as well, but he's a really, really nice guy. But I'm doing a show called Imposter Syndrome. Mm. I've just started writing it. I'm halfway through and I'm... No, pointing out the bits in my life where I felt like an imposter, like on mm. the Irish karate team, when you see a guy do the splits up against the wall <laughs> and you're standing in front of him, there's a few seconds before that starts, you know, and the Japanese coach is saying the rules in Japanese or something, and you're looking at him, you know, and you're you're focused, but there's th- there's a feeling, there's a no, a, a a knowledge going. This is, I'm I shouldn't be here. I have no right <laughs> yeah. to be here. Yeah, I've got the belt on. And I'm wearing the clothes and people are cheering. But there's a moment where it's like, I'm about to be found out. I'm a fucking fraud. Fuck right? yeah, man. Uh, and I was on that particular occasion, right? But there's, then the, well, I was an investment banker. Oh, I yeah. I, spent, I forgot that you did that. Yeah, man. I spent ages looking over my shoulder, like, you know, with a sore neck, just thinking, I'm going to be found out. Like, how, oh. how did I get away with this? But often uh. you often you, you fake it till you make it, if you will, and you, you fall into that place mm-hmm. but I, when I was telling I sent an email out to a group and Dermot's on my email list and he said he's now teaching meditation right and he just goes man tell me about it I'm feeling like a fraud you know I'm feeling like an imposter too so probably you know for a weekend or a, a mm. class he was asked to take it and he feels because he's that, that guy he's like hey welcome to the Dermot show welcome to the good morning <laughs> yeah, right yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, but it's good I think it's, it's a healthy thing to feel that, to feel mm. like, oh, wait a minute, I don't know everything. I'm just trying my best here mm-hmm. and I'm a little bit out of my depth. As long as that we don't go all, you know, because maybe if, I don't want to talk about Trump, but if Trump had a bit of imposter syndrome, if he felt like, oh, I've been a bit of a fraud, maybe. Yeah. Or one, maybe he wouldn't have, I don't know, like maybe. Well, it's, it, it's, it comes from an insecurity, man. I think the opposite of the imposter syndrome uh, or I guess people that's kind of subdue it or ignore that that thing exists is pure th- per- purely through insecurity. The people that I respect and love in the world are always the ones that are the most honest about where they're at, and they're usually the most invested in the thing that they're working on. So like whatever the fuck it is, they care about doing that thing so much that it doesn't r- matter to them. It's not them. It's not about like me, the selfie and the face I'm presenting. It's like I've got this idea that needs to go out in the world. So the idea is more important than me. And then the opposite of that is when the me is bigger than the idea. That, and, this, and this is a pretty fluid exchange. It happens all the time. So you're like, you could be starting out thinking the music is the thing. The music is it's about the music. It's about the music, music, music. And you're so con- um, connected to your music that everybody else connects to it too and you become amazing. And then all of a sudden you become Michael Jackson or somebody who has got come yes men all around them all the time believing and then they believe in their own bullshit they believe that they are the best thing that's ever happened to the world because they created this great music and then suddenly they can't make music anymore 
because ah. that the tables turn. You know what I mean? So it becomes it, and they don't have to anymore, right? Mediocrity people, will mm-hmm. be fine at, at that level. Cause yeah, because people fame just itself it. is selling, right? So, right. Yeah. Yeah. They can't exactly. See true. Well, that's the beauty in fighting or something like that, or being on stage with comedy. You won't really get away with it. Maybe in comedy you can if you do a few great shows. People will but go, even but then, still, re- it's not funny. Yeah, if you go up there and it's not funny at all. I it's mean, not funny. you'll get a certain level of leeway just because you're famous and people yeah. already like you. So nobody knows who I am. So if I go on stage and I do comedy, I have to win them over from the start. Yeah. But if I'm a famous comic, you're going to get a few minutes because people are there to see you yeah. and they've seen your specials and they're invested. Yeah, right, they'll so, give you the benefit. But of if the you're doubt. if you're bad, you're bad. You know, mm. like Eddie Izzard, I saw him die recently. Yeah, you know, really? he's, yeah, like fucking 30% of the audience left. He used to be phenomenal. Now he's just given lectures pretty much that aren't that funny. Yeah, Or at, wow. least, at least that was that show. I mean, he's mm. a genius, so I don't like saying anything bad about it. He's brilliant, but was. Yeah, yeah, and that happens. I mean, everybody goes through that phase, and I think that's one of the biggest fears of anybody who's in a creative profession is that, like, losing touch with that thing that made you want to make music in the first place. And everybody kind of blames all the record labels and the money or whatever the fuck it is, but I think it is an actual state of being, is that it's really hard to walk that tightrope and constantly remind yourself that the idea is bigger than you, that you're not defined by the music you make. You're not defined by the comedy you do, you know what I mean? You're not defined by a good set. You can't hold on. You can't have a good set one night and then bomb for three weeks and then just keep holding on to that one good set thinking that that still defines you. Yeah, Yeah, you know what I mean? It won't work because you're never going to get any better. But And and what's kind of cool about what you said about your friend Dermot is that, like, so he's achieved some level of success in Ireland as a uh, radio presenter and he does comedy and he's good at what he does. And then he's also like, well, fuck it, I'm going to be a meditation teacher. And, And so this is something that I'm really curious about and I think really runs in the line of people who do great things is that they always have this drive to be pushing themselves somehow. So even if you win at the game of comedy, let's just say, you're still looking for something else to do. You know, you're always going to be looking for that challenge to keep testing yourself, keeping yourself honest, I guess. Because as soon as you stop keeping yourself honest, you're going to fall into that trap of being a character of yourself, thinking you're too good. But then there's the element of the self-destruction where you, you notice, and we've, we've got a good uh, mutual friend that does this. I've seen him do it a bunch. He's like a fucking amazing comedian. He's ridiculously amazing. And then because he's genius and he's out on this like other planet, and then when it, he bombs, he bombs. Nick's son. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just bombs because he's so (laughs) fucking good and so unpredictable that he operates in chaos but as soon as he gets off track he gets it stuck in his head that he's failing and he cannot dig himself out of the hole Mm. and he just goes further and further inside and self-destructs he just completely self-destructs on the inside out and it's a tough thing like because that's an insecurity as well it's that feeling of like oh you don't like me so um, I, I don't know what to do here. I don't know where to go from here. And I can't speak to that point because I've never gone on stage like that. I can't imagine how fucking hard stand-up would be. Well, I suppose it's like anything, right? You just oh. have to work at it and get better. The beauty of it is you do have instant feedback, so mm. people yeah, you don't know, laugh or they working. do laugh. So you can, when they're laughing, oh, the more of that. When they're not laughing, oh, that's not working. I should improve it or drop it. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Do you ever think, like one of the confusing things about doing stand-up comedy is that you since you're getting this immediate feedback loop does it ever happen that like they'll laugh one night at one thing and then the next night you do it exactly the same and they don't laugh and then you have to question 
is the bit wrong or the people wrong yeah. or the thing wrong or was my delivery wrong? And your delivery and your confidence and because there's where so you many variables in the set. Yeah, you like sometimes you got to change your timing and your speed and your rhythm and because not every room is set up the same. Not mm. not to mention the audience. Mm. Like yesterday, I was in a room where there's people on my left and the right, and they can't see. You know, so they're and there's like the doors open. Yeah, so that setup is so weird. Halloween, they're coming in outside. Yeah, it was like one of the worst. It was a really bad setup. Really well, nice. I like the, there are nice people in the audience, but there's I can hear all the people outside, which means that <laughs> everyone else can hear them. Yeah, yeah. Which means that how can you possibly focus? So if my part of my joke is I need the timing to allow space, leaving the gap in between the last word that I spoke and the next, because mm. it's in that silence that a lot of my comedy actually is, because I need people to think. I need mm-hmm. people to feel and then have a punchline. But yesterday I had to go bam, 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 bam. Because I knew if I left that space, the fucking noise, they just got noisier and noisier outside. Yeah, they think that uh, you're not talking. And <laughs> also I get distracted, you know, from years of drinking or whatever. But if I get, hear noise, I get put off and I'm like, all right, well, let's just fucking, you know, bam, 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 like high energy, fast. I was like sweating and all, which yeah. normally I'm more laid back and yeah, I wow, less hard. <laughs> And no, I talk about imposter syndrome. When you're playing a character that you don't normally play, then you're like, well, you know, who the fuck is this delivering my jokes? Because I kind of understand what you mean. I mean, your comedy is really smart and really you've got like long, slow story building kind of elements to it. And then all, if you have to just jam those out, it is, it's like someone reading a script or whatever. It doesn't just quite pack the same punch, does it? You can, you can do it. It's just not, it's just, not the same. It's just harder. You know, I mm. don't get as big a laugh, so I don't pull them in as much. There's something so beautiful about that concept. I think it's, um, I think it was Hannah Gatsby recently put it in that special. She talks about Nanette. building tension. Nanette. Yeah. Um, and the, that, it, she does make sense in that thing that you have to create tension in order to break the tension. Like that is what makes good comedy. And I, that's probably one of my favorite things about musicians, about comedians. It's like the confidence to be able to create space and allow, like, hold somebody's attention and hold someone's presence to then surprise them and turn something on them. And Mark Knopfler does it incredibly well. He's from the Dire Straits. He's probably one of the best musicians that I can articulate this well, mm. that he doesn't need a bunch of notes and these, like, fancy riffs. Like, he's obviously capable of it, but he's so confident in just building these, like, beautiful, slow melodies that, like, you could be inside them forever, and they feel so like warm and confident (laughs) I don't know how to describe it but there's so there's that sensation of like the ultimate confidence to allow space to allow a painting to be unfinished because that's what you're trying to do you know what I mean it's not a cop-out it's like Uh, what's that yeah yeah no it's just picturing a a painting unfinished yeah yeah it's the idea that like you you get this idea out and you're like it's done and I'm okay with that there's okay there's lines there's weird shit on it and like to be able to have that confidence to stand on stage and just simmer in the silence, or sit. and that's what you need a room that's a captivated room I, for. I have a bit now for this show that I'm doing, but I tell the story and it goes on for about three minutes and there's no laughter, and I really slow it down, and there's no punchline at the end. <laughs> right? There's oh. just none, and I just leave it there, and I slow it down. But from the rhythm of going from joke, joke, joke to talking about whatever, you know, whatever I was talking about, and then coming to this bit. And then I go, well, I don't have an end of the show. (laughs) 
right? So I've been playing with it. I've only done it a few times, but I've, obviously mm. as a comic, I need to then come up and have like a whole new bit, right, of funny stuff. But to have a space in the show where they have the freedom to not laugh because mm. you've just laughed for 35 minutes, mm. right? You've laughed and you've mm. clapped. What about space for you to breathe and to think and to feel without the pressure of having to laugh ah you've we've done that 35 because it's an hour show i get it as a comic for 15 minutes i'm not going to do this in a comedy club but if someone comes to see me they're usually coming because they want something more yeah so the concept of doing a bit with no fucking punchline that's what i'm playing with but it's terrifying for me because i'm fuck yeah i I need it is because i need the laughter yeah and i have to hold the space in me and then for them so that's what I'm experimenting with. Well, having that authentic connection to your audience, I think, is the only way to feel your way through that thing. Like being so present in the sense, like the Buddhist sense of being so present, like completely empty and present and connecting with them is the only way that that thing really works. Because if you're, if you're in there and you're inside your head and you start getting creeped out or nervous or anxious about it they're going to feel it they're going to sense it and they're going to get uncomfortable because we are we can perceive other people a lot better than we can intellectualize them so like all of a sudden you'll just have like this kind of sense of anxiety or discomfort around you and you're not really sure why and then you know somebody's body language is anxious or uncomfortable you know it we all know these things intuitively but we just don't know how to put them to words in our head or we try to ignore them we try to suppress them because there's a certain normative behavior that has to be done and this needs them all of my actions need to fall on this normative behavior even if somebody's like kind of sticking out as being odd or the wrong reaction to this situation i'm going to kind of ignore that because i need things to be normal it's the same concept of, of basically keeping the world just so it's that mentality that if the world isn't just so, if the world isn't fair, then anything bad could happen to me. So it, it just gives you this immediate anxiety and paranoia. Right. Right? So, like, if, if there's anything that, <laughs> if somebody reacts oddly to any situation, it immediately reminds you of your own death. <laughs> you know, like the own, the, your own potential. You're not meant to act like that. I could die. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Like that. You can't park there. <gasps> I can't breathe. <laughs> because things in the world, in order for us to like feel secure, because they're, the, the ultimate insecurity is that we don't know what the fuck we're doing here and why we're here. Uh, and when will it ever end? Except Speak for you, for yourself. <laughs> who was born as God. Yeah, a child of. But yeah. yes, you're right. You're right. <laughs> you know that sensation that you're like, this is at the core of all of us. I could die at any minute and I don't know what my point is. I don't know what the point of any of this is. Well, we better hurry up and get to our point Mm. in life. I know. So I better make as much money as I can or like fuck dudes or like, I don't know, make a podcast. Fuck dudes. Fuck dudes. Let's just do that. (laughs) Right now. Let's get some dudes. Any dudes out there? (laughs) Dudes. Me and Melina do a challenge once a month and next month. See how many guys you can... Dudes, yeah, as many dicks as I can swallow in one month. That's wow, the challenge. Nice. Who's winning? You or Melina? <laughs> Me, obviously. I'm so competitive. Well, I have, uh, she could be in there right now. Yeah, she could be in there right now, sucking <laughs> many dicks. Scene. I know. I'm losing yeah. an hour of my life. You know. Yeah, I'm, sl- <laughs> I'm slowing down. <laughs> All right, okay. It's your fault. Um, no, like so. Oh, for December, what we've decided to do is we called it date December, and for the whole month of December, we have to. We're still working out the rules, but we're gonna like have to go on a certain dating app for each week. We have to talk to a new person in the dating app for the whole week. And by the end of the week, we have to have asked someone or gone on a date. Oh, that's good. For the course of the week. That's a good challenge. Wow. 
So and then so we could go like Tinder the first week, Bumble the next week, some fucking I don't know, ChristianSingles.com. Oh, Christian Singles. <laughs> Hilarious. That's be really See if good. my Buddhist group has got one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll see if there's any good cults I can That's join for the week. But so the idea good. is like to fucking, because both of us are pretty comfortable in our own, we are comfortable in weird situations. Like I'm happy doing Muay Thai. I'm happy doing this stuff. But I'm really fucking shit at being at the bar talking to dudes. There's no, I just don't do it. I wow. cannot physically do it. I fucking need to do it. That's interesting. Well, and today, actually, in fact, today marks three years that I've been sober. I don't know if sober... I'm not, I'm not sure I'm allowed to say sober, though, because I smoke weed all the time. Wow. So I stopped drinking not three drinking. years ago. And um, at, Well done, man. That's as impressive. of today, in fact. Wow. And um, so when I go to a bar, it's like, well, what? You know, there's this deep insecurity again. It always, it's, of course, the same insecurity of everything. Like, what the fuck am I doing here? But it's... Like how do you how I do you even start? To be here with my sparkling water. Yeah, I know. Can I'm a, boring. Can I have a bit of lemon, please. Uh, <laughs> would you mind? Because I'm uptight. You know what I mean. When I, everyone else looks at me, they're all drunk and silly and having a good time and having a goofy smile on their face. And I think I'm a pretty relaxed, fun-loving kind of gal. But I don't come across that way at all. I come off very stiff. Well, not if you're in, and in the bar when everyone's boozing. I get it. Oh, yeah, it's awful. I hate being in a bar when I'm not drinking. You're just I, not I drink a different most planet. Most of the time, but there's now and again I do a detox for two months or something, mm. and uh, I just avoid the bars. It's like hassle. That's where you work, though. Yeah, that must be tough, man. Well, that's why I don't do it that often. Yeah, that's yeah, why I, <laughs> yeah. I'm was scared. it hard going back to Ireland? Because you, so how long were you over there? Only a month or something. I was it? just there for, I think, six weeks, and then I did the Edinburgh Festival, and then another week. Oh, I heard that's crazy. Edinburgh it's great. There's like 40,000 artists there, 2,000 wow. comedians. It's just like millions of shows, free shows or Jesus. shows for 20 pounds or whatever. Yeah. Wow. It's great. Fuck. Yeah, I love it. Uh, this is what I'm building my show up for, for next year. I want it to be. When is it? August. Every August. Every August. Oh, wow. Yeah, fuck. Um, but so, well, because obviously drinking's a big thing where you come from. Is it still a big thing back there? Yeah, it is. I mean, it really is. I mean, we, we, I mean it's a stereotype, but it is true. Yeah, was I being racist then? Um, <laughs> well, yeah, I, don't, I think there's only one race, but yeah, uh, yeah, you're <laughs> a horrible you? racist. How, how dare you call us leprechauns? We're, we don't have green toes. Uh, what? <laughs> yeah, so yeah, but I think we do drink like the way we just drink, drink. Mm-hmm. It's just normal to go drinking. One of... Uh, Oh, one of well, my I friends. You, I think the Aussies and Brits are not, they're not that dissimilar. Oh, I think fair, it's right? a similar culture, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, a friend of mine that is from, he's from Galway, was saying that his theory on Irish drinking is just that you have an, a deep insecurity as a group in general that, like, and I think it's, I think it's a human beings, but I think, like, Americans have this weird self, sense of self-importance that they're just, oh, doing okay, and we're a-okay, and we drink to party. But the, like... The Irish people have this, like, deep sense of unworthiness of somehow, be- probably because the fucking English people came in and tried to exploit, like, just pushed all of you down to the bottom half of your country and everything. And it still was going on until, what, the late 90s. It's still happening, obviously, a little bit up there. What's going on with Brexit over there? That's well, a slightly different question. But, yeah, sorry. Uh, but let's not get into Brexit just right, okay. yet. Well, yeah, oh, ooh, uh, yeah. <laughs> so the, that, the booze, I, I think the drinking, the, the, we used to have pochine, which is like from potatoes. It's our whiskey. It's our um, strong, really strong drink. And it'd be like 80% mm. alcohol. And it'd be home brewed. 
and on the farms we didn't own land all the land was taken of course from the colony right so the farmers would would be out and they'd be in the cold so they'd drink this uh, putching and they'd sort of party and they'd stay dancing and drinking to keep them warm mm. so this is the this, this story that we're told so it's kind of in our blood that all the Irish people would just drink a lot and you kind of grew up drinking to stay and it was just became normal that you drink it I suppose like the Russians would vodka or yeah, whatever yeah yeah okay but uh, I don't know why we do I mean now we should be conscious enough to drink when we want to drink and not drink when we don't we're grown ups we can't really be <laughs> blaming our ancestors from before <laughs> As for blaming uh, the Brits, yeah, I mean, of course. I mean, yeah, why not? I mean, they took over the world. Of course, we were an experiment because we were like the first one. So everything they tried in mm. all the other countries would have uh, happened with the Irish. And then, I don't know about the late 90s. Not sure what you meant by that, though. Well, because you're still, you're still dealing with chaos up from Northern Ireland to Southern Ireland. Not yeah. really. Since I've been young, there was in the 80s, yeah, there was, oh, was people the going 80s, on okay. protests. And yeah, we had the peace treaty in the 90s. Okay. So um, Bill Clinton got involved with that, you know, in between. You're saying uh, America saved the day? Well, he took credit for it. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he would have come over, I suppose. I suppose just you throw money at the situation, show your face, and mm. needed the needed, they had to clear up terrorism, right, in, or perceived terrorism. Yeah, perceived terrorism. I know, because that's a funny thing, depending on what side you talk to, who's the right. terrorist here. Well, it's the same thing we were talking about with Jesus, with that story. Um, the book that, if anyone's curious about reading more about this, it's called Zealot, and the guy's name is Riza Aslan. But the book is about the historical Jesus of Nazareth. And, oh, that'd be interesting. Yeah, it's a great book. Um, I don't know, it, it basically, essentially, this guy's a historian, and he just went with as much documented evidence that he could to try and piece this guy's life together from right. way from the actual time he was alive and what likely and is there any yeah yeah there's a significant amount of of oh, information wow. on him and most of it is if he was a human at that time pretty much the bible is this giant fabricated thing that happened after he died 300 years later <clears throat> and it was all um basically founded in the idea that these jewish uh, zealots they're called but just like anybody who's like a crazy fundamentalist of uh, islam of christianity of anything and you've got your born again christians you have your isis types you have your these zealot types atheist types atheist types all of them yeah all trying to sell something <laughs> yeah all trying to say this is the way but so they you have these kind of fundamentalist type of characters uh jesus was a part of that group of the jewish faith and they were constantly battling the Romans. The Romans were always coming over, like raping and pillaging through their towns, setting fire to everything in the town, women, children. Like, didn't like the British of their day. Yes, the British of their day, absolutely. Just did not give a fuck. Absolute, complete annihilation. And so then, of course, and who knows who started what, but this clash of these people were going on for fucking ever. And so these Jewish people were revolutionaries. They stood up and said, no, fuck this. We're not doing that anymore. We're banding together. And anyone who's not Jewish gets their fucking dick cut off and their head and everything else. So then they would go back and rape and pillage and murder. And if you were a Gentile, if you were not a Jew, if you weren't circumcised pretty much, they would kill you. And so it's this back and forth, just nonstop. So from one side of the story, they were terrorists. From the other side of the story, they were defending their people and their land. So, um, you know, who the fuck knows? But what he's saying in the book is that um, Jesus most likely, because of where he came from and that time period he was in and his ideals and that he wanted to look out for the Jewish people, he was absolutely most likely one of the leaders of one of these uprising groups, one of these, like, guerrilla groups. 
whether or not he was himself was violent, they don't really know. There's no evidence to say that he was or wasn't, but 90% of the evidence says that if he lived in that mm-hmm. time as that person, he probably was. Cool. <clears throat> so it's really interesting. And so actually the Jesus that we know now comes from Paul, who um, was one of the apostles that wasn't really one of the in-group. He was like one of the Klingons that like hung around the cool dudes. Paul the Klingon. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like he was like the the dweeby, snivelly kid that like hung out with the cool kids, but he wasn't okay. really part of the cool kids. And so he went to Rome and was like, uh, I'm one of Jesus's friends. And they were all like, oh, yeah, you know Jesus well? And he's like, yeah, totally. I can like introduce you to Jesus. And th- and in the end, he just wanted to get in good with the Romans. So he changed a whole bunch of the doctrines to make it Roman friendly because Jesus's doctrines were all like down well, with anyone I, who's not I'm a I'm not sure if you're talking about the Apostle Paul. Because there's two Pauls. Paul the Apostle, this will, you are the rock upon this church will be built at the gates of St. Peter. Sorry, I mix them up. That's Peter. But there's Paul. There is Paul an Apostle. But there's also Paul who was Saul. And Saul was a Roman. And he changed his name to Paul. Mm. And I'm wondering... I, yeah, I don't oh, I don't know. Well, the way he describes Apple. it is that this guy was... He didn't even probably know Jesus directly. So he was been. a guy that went to Rome and lived in Rome, but he went from Jerusalem. I think it's, yeah, that Paul, he ended so up that being could really be powerful Paul in the Saul. church. Yes, he, he used really to be, powerful. So he used to be anti-Christian. He used to kill them as a Roman. And then he, he changed. He probably jumped on the winning team and went, hey, wait, this is working. Let's yeah, that, and that was essentially what he said is that all of the teachings that, that Jesus now says in the Bible have been warped by Paul's yeah, man. Like presentation of them. So it's a sad thing because it's like if you actually wanted to go with Jesus of Nazareth, his original doctrines, they're a lot different than what you see in the Bible now. Not yeah, to say that what they've done There's 39 now. quotes from, is it, uh, is, it, is, it, is it Paul? I don't, well, I remember that that guy he's Paul's talking about is called Paul. Johnson, anyway. who, there's, there's one of them is Obviously, 30, neither of 39 us quotes. Yeah, ne- we haven't done this. enough of our <laughs> studies. We're walking into a... <laughs> <laughs> Dangerous territory. Yeah. But it's it's interesting because the whole uh, like the whole point of what we're trying to talk about is like this idea that depending on who the fuck is t- telling this story, and it's the same way with absolutely everything. When someone tells you, "Oh my God, you wouldn't believe what Sally did to me," she's so fucking rude. It's like immediately you just have to go straight away. That's your opinion. And hear what Sally has to say about yeah. the matter. And it seems so easy and obvious to say, but you ever hear that voice inside your head like that fucking guy cut me off because he's fucking you know? It's like no. Nobody ever does anything because of you. Nobody ever does. <laughs> you are not interesting. You're not enough. interesting at all. Like, you're not important. <laughs> Thanks, Lorna. <laughs> Cheers. I feel so good. Well, so glad I came here today. Aiden, you're God. <laughs> yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't need validation me. from a mere human. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I created you. Jesus. <laughs> as if it matters what I say. Mm. But you are really unimportant. God. At the end of the day, you're going to die. And you're well, pretty much that's, useless. that's really interesting. If that's the case, we're all fucked. Mm-hmm. If, if if we believe in death, right, we're all going to die. And I think that's, I think everything can be based on that, right? So everything, mm-hmm. like this table here that we're at today, in a hundred years, it'll probably be gone, right? Your house in a thousand years, most likely gone. Yeah. In a million years, Australia, Australia could be gone, right? In a trillion trillion years planet earth will be gone you're very optimistic and a trillion 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 years well i'm just picking a number in case there's somebody who actually knows right (laughs) trillion 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 years the whole fucking universe will be gone as Mm. you know so everything is dead in time and if everything is dead that means 
right? Everything has to be dead, right? Then you look at what's outside of time, mm-hmm. and that's eternity. And for me, if I was to, to talk about a God or anything, the only thing that is God is, is no words that have ever been said or no feelings or anything that we think we know. It's just sim- simply that, eternity. Because mm-hmm. God is obviously invincible. All knowledge, all truth, a place with you know complete understanding. So I like to think, I mean, joking aside about being God, I think that there is part of me and everybody mm. is that. Obviously not this physical body because it's just cells that can be broken into atoms. What makes you think that, though? Like, do you have a feeling about well, the, it? Or? The, there's, well, it's, it's, a, it's an all-knowing. It's a, it's a state. There's moments that I can experience the state. So if we're just... We're physical atoms, right? And that can be broken into subatomic particles, right? Tiny little flashing bits of light and they go millions of times per second, right? Science already knows that, right? Mm-hmm. So since we know that, and that reflects on a lot of what wise people have said in the past, you can kind of experience, if you're in a really perfect state of meditation, like a vroom, 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 as an if, you know, the eye disappears, and you're mm. just, you, you become the observer. So the body's there, and you can observe, and it probably happens to people who are taking ayahuasca, or who are tripping on drugs, taking a lot yeah, of DMT, yeah. Where you leave your body and you can just experience, uh, you can watch a state being experienced. And the concept of, you know, having your arm chopped off, right, isn't really that scary anymore because you're just watching, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, a being like sort of going, oh, yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. you're like, oh, okay, so it's just cells from one place to another. Mm-hmm. But it's it's not as simple. I mean, I, de- I think that the likes of Buddha are possibly Jesus, if, if he existed in, at all. Maybe they experienced this state and they had a greater understanding. And they obviously had less fear because they realized, oh, I can't be, I can't be hurt. Maybe they'd meditated so much they'd got to a stage. You know the way like Buddhists can go, or Buddhas, sorry, monks. Yeah. They can, they can go into the ice for hours and stuff. Yeah, you know yeah, yeah, right? oh, for sure. So you can overcome pain. And you're, you've trained a lot. I've trained a lot from martial art I remember we used to have to do this thing and I hated it for the bow we'd have to sit on our shins basically when you were kneeling and you do your bows but he may sometimes make us wait there meditating like that it's hard to show the listeners but it would hurt my my shins so bad right Mm. but eventually you'd get to a place where the pain would disappear yeah right okay it's like having pins and needles I hate getting pins and needles yeah but then you, you let it happen and it just takes over your whole body, but your all your legs up to your your waist. But eventually, you get beyond it. You just mm. observe it, and that that happens. So it's and I think I'm guessing. Maybe there's a level of pain that the body can take, and after that, it just zones out. Mm-hmm. Is there a maximum level, or can? Well, yeah, I mean, we definitely go into shock in a way. I know, I know exactly the state you're talking about because I felt it. I feel it in good ways and in bad ways when I'm fighting. Um, but the bad way was the first time it ever happened. And it was because I, 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 people talk about having an out-of-body experience. And I didn't know. I understood it intellectually but never felt it. And then I, had, I completely had an out-of-body experience where I literally felt like I was a thing in the inside of a lead machine. And I was above the ring watching my body do this thing. 
I was so far away from my body. I wasn't looking at it through my eyes. I don't know how I saw. It was like I was watching it through a video game. But I was just up, up above it watching this thing happen, and I was just battling two thoughts. My body was doing whatever the fuck it was doing. I don't even know. It was muscle memory. Right. It just did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the thought, one thought would come up, goes, this is the wrong place for us to be. We shouldn't be here. The other voice is like, but you have to win. <laughs> this one, keep going. No, we should leave. And that was all it was. So I was just sitting there watching these two <laughs> thoughts happen. Having these two fucking conflicting <laughs> While thoughts. While this body great. is just fucking battling. Obviously, no pain, no anything. Mm. Could not feel a fucking thing. It's not possible. Couldn't feel her face. I saw red coming out of her nose at one point, so I knew that whatever was happening, I needed to keep hitting that red thing. That's nice. Was that blood? It was blood. It nice. was indeed. I beat her up. Nice. Nice. <laughs> or the the robot may beat her up whatever that was the, the antenna version of myself but um, I was terrified of that state so it was petrifying it was scary from the get go I didn't know what to expect I'd never felt that feeling before it was just a sheer state of panic where I left my body and then I got zoomed back into my body my friends were all looking at me afterward and they were like you were not there like, you were not even present. There was not a human behind your eyes. No one was there. Oh, wow, they saw it. They could see it from That's the outside. And I've got pictures wow. of me, and you can see it. I'm not oh, I in see there. Them. Yeah, it's fucking crazy. And then you, because um, I'm just, I'm not a, a human. It's like you become an animal for a period. Now, my new state of being, because I'm more accustomed to that feeling, I know what to expect in the ring and stuff, is now a different state of controlled martial art meditation where you go in there and you get so deeply connected to your body that I'm so inside my body that everything else disappears. So it's like a suspension of the self mm. in on purpose. One of them could be compared to like a psychedelic trip where you get ejected out of yourself and then you just have to fucking deal with it. And the other one is like I on purpose put myself into such a meditative state that I am so connected to the inside of my hands that I can't, can't even think. It's like telepathic communication between my hands and my head. I think and my body moves. And more than anything, my trainer says punch and I go. It just happens automatically. There's no like mediator in between. So there's two states if I think being in that way. And uh, where the fear comes from in the psychedelic state or in the my out-of-body experience is that I didn't put myself there, so I'm out of control. I don't know how to control it. The human self needs to control things. We need, we need to feel like we uh, can't. But now, now you're controlling, trying to control it. Yeah, and so then this way I've learned how to do it. I can't control it. I can't always get there, but I, I recognize that that state is a higher state of being. It's a better state to be. Mm -hmm. So I'm aiming to seek it. I want that state. So you're allowing for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In a safer environment, in a safe space. Yeah. I create a safe space inside the ring for That's myself. Nice. Yeah. I, I've found, I've had it in fighting, but not at a level because I was never at a really, really good level, but I've had something, a fight in or out of the ring where there's like someone's swinging a punch like there's all the talk and the pushing or whatever, any of that nonsense, whatever. But as soon as like the punch is swung and there's something coming towards you, this it's like as if time slows down. Right. A little yes. Bit. Like, yeah. Well, yeah. Exactly. And that, all of zone. that, all of the other stuff disappears. The uh, oh yeah, well I've got to check my messenger. Or, mm -hmm. Oh, what time's the Uber coming at? Or oh, it's whose round is it? Like whatever is going on, boom. That's really still place, and there's no noise in the world. Yeah. Right. And sometimes I have that. Yeah, and sometimes it's great. Like wh whether you get hit or not, it's, you still experience it. It's just yes. sometimes it's like slows down. You get out of the way, and you're like, "Whoa, yes. how did that happen?" But likewise, I have that with, with comedy. There's places where I'm in the a, a perfect zone. It's not. I'm not remembering the words next. It's just like 
what I yeah, imagine for a, a, a wonderful musician to be able to play. Because mm-hmm. like, if I could play Mozart, maybe I'd understand more. But I, I picture I'm playing with the sounds in the room, the audience. I can feel everything connected to all of it. Mm. And that's the perfect moment in comedy. But it's quite rare for me. I don't get it that often. Actually. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, what you're describing is that, you know, like that flow state or the zone or whatever. And the flow there, state, yeah. there's a guy that um, I interviewed a few episodes back, Abra Garfield. His job. He's a sports psychologist, and that's his entire practice. His whole wow, job is cool. trying to figure out how to help people get into the zone. To really yeah, elite the zone. athletes. Yeah, that's what they talk about. Yeah. The zone. yeah. So you get into that thing, and, and it is. It's like time stops, everything disappears. And what I'm realizing is it's, um, it is more or less within your control, but there are two uh, predictive factors that have to go into place first. Uh, A, it's contradictory to insecurity. You cannot be insecure in there. And so everything that makes you feel insecure, like, for example, I'm not good enough because I didn't work hard enough. I don't know my material. I don't trust that this material's funny. I don't trust that the comp- the, this room is good. I don't, you know, whatever it is. So anytime you've got any of those negative thoughts that are causing you to feel insecure in that moment, it will not come because you have too much of a need right, to control yeah, it. They don't like me. Mm-hmm. Why are they talking? I'm not that funny. Yes. Right, bang, it's gone. As soon as that stuff comes up, it's gone. But so if you have done the prerequisite work, like you can't just be like, I want to be in the zone and go there. It's like thousands of hours of practice and good practice, focused meditative practice as much as you can. Oh, you lost me at work. <laughs> I'm, I'm out. Exactly. Because that feeling is so beautiful. And I think... Like, that's what everyone really does seek at the end of the day. Anyone who does hard things, this is the other precursor to it. So first is that you've done all the work to get into it. So your muscle memory knows what to do. In fighting, if I've done a 1,000 hours of really good hard training before my fight, my body will know what to do. And I can completely trust that so I completely let go of my need to control it because I know it knows what to do. If I didn't do that, I did 10 hours of practice beforehand, I would have no trust in that. I would have to force it, and that's why it doesn't work. But on the other side of that... I think the zone also only comes when the stakes are high. When it matters enough to you to kick you up into that extra notch. That so, it ha, there's, there has to be something to lose that forces your body to get into that higher state of being. Because if it didn't matter yeah. to you enough, you would be too relaxed to care. Like if you're fighting a child, right. you're not going to yeah. get into it. Right? All the times I've fought children, like every single time I've kicked a kid in the face, I've been like, ah, oh, you know. Give no me your sweets, you little <laughs> fuck. Yeah, I, n- I never get that reward out of it. I still do it, but I don't get the reward that I'm looking for. No, but I was being serious. I meant, <laughs> I, I meant like if you're fighting someone beneath you, like you're just oh, yeah, gentle yeah, sparring. Yes, exactly. You know? Uh, yeah, I suppose if you're doing comedy in front of your family, you know they're not going to listen anyway. Yeah, so they don't like, care. You know, yeah, right? You're not going to get in the zone telling a story. <laughs> they're not going to even listen till the end of it, right? No, exactly. Do you want some peas? No, I don't want some fucking peas. I want you to listen <laughs> for listen like more than jokes. two seconds. <laughs> like, we don't like the way you're moving your hand there. Shut up, mom. Yeah. Oh, my parents are so ruthless. Are your parents critical? Yeah, in their own way. Mm. They're less... They don't re- I don't really take criticism well, so they've learned not to directly criticize, but it's just more like... Oh, really? Yeah, it's more like passive-aggressive. <laughs> right. They ask questions. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah, that's, Little, little facial reactions, and <laughs> just cut me off when I'm telling them what I'm doing if, if they don't like the sound of it, and just mm. change direction. Are they struggling with you living in Asia? Don't know. Probably, I don't know if they're struggling with it. I think they'd like me to be at home, but... I mean, yeah. whatever. 
they've got other kids. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be okay. That'd be all right. Yeah. My parents are critical in the critical way. Wow. They yeah. just straight out say, straight well, out, your like, hair's not long enough. Yeah, I get I get physical things. My mom thinks really? my mom wants me to dye my eyebrows. <laughs> she thinks I need darker eyebrows. Or if my beard's too long. She's like, Your beard you've or my clothes oh, so if don't match. But I don't really consider them actual. Yeah. Sense, that's just whatever. But do you know what's funny about that is like your perception of what's important will dictate whether things hurt you or not. So it's about like anybody could say a slew of insults, like say the same insult to 60 people and three of those people will be crying on the floor and everyone else will be laughing. And so like the, you can tell your own self like what you think is important by what you think, by what hurts you and what doesn't. Yeah. Because somebody could true. say anything about my physical appearance more or less and I couldn't really give a shit I mean I I am really nervous your ears are too blue yeah (laughs) that's one I'm working on definitely but like the idea that you um but if somebody tells me like I'm trying too hard or I'm needy or like oh wow oh thanks for telling everybody your weaknesses yeah oh it's so hard it hurts so much you've you've got really perfect eyes but you're just so fucking needy (laughs) It hurts but, so much. Yeah, right. <laughs> it does. And so, like, I like to get out in front of my insecurity. So, like, I, I'm overly honest about everything that's going on so that nobody can surprise me with, like, right. making fun of something I did. But is that, is that because you just try too, too much, is it? Yeah. It's because you, you try too hard. It's because you need validation from... Constantly need everyone. validation. Yeah. yeah, I'm a people pleaser. Yeah, I are, need to be liked you? by everyone. Are mm-hmm. you? Uh, that's yeah, why sure. you don't like it. So when someone calls you needy, you don't like it because it's 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 a weakness you're aware of. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. What, what are you doing to destroy that weakness? Well, if, coming if anything, coming back to myself, like remembering, you know what I mean? Remembering that I, whatever it is that I'm doing, the meaning of the thing that I'm doing is more important than me, Lorna, the self. Because anything, any attack that comes to my neediness or any time I'm expressing needing, neediness or insecurity or seeking validation, it's because I'm looking for an external validation for something that I don't feel particularly good about. So I know that like my motivations were wrong. If I'm looking for validation on something, I immediately understand that my motivations were wrong and I've done it for the wrong reason. So then I have to come back well spotted. and remind myself that the reason why I'm doing something is not so that someone likes me. It's because at the end of the day, I do know that. Like, I know the feeling of someone telling me that, oh, that's a cool painting. I've, I know that feeling. It's all right. They're all right. No, I mean, it's an all right <laughs> feeling. You're getting the, you're getting the like. Getting exactly. The you get like that little like, but, like button and you go, oh, cool. But you know that that thing doesn't sustain you. The feeling that I know, and I know this really well, is having a fucking powerful connection to something I'm drawing. That all of a sudden, time disappears. I'm in the zone. That feeling, oh, and wow. it sounds so wanky to say it this way because it's really hard to describe, but like when you really are genuinely connected to what you're doing, really, really authentically connected, and there's no you involved... You feel fucking amazing. And then people push the like button and people tell you you're cool or people give you an art show or they buy your th- stuff or whatever. And that's something, but it doesn't touch that other place. Yeah, of course not. So I have to constantly remind myself that if I am seeking that validation, I know at the end of the day that that's still not going to satisfy me. That the thing that did satisfy me was the fact that I made the podcast in the first place, that I sat down and did it. Turned up to do it. Mm. That's what's bigger. And there was a moment where a girl recently came up to me after she had finished her fight and said, your podcast was the thing that got me through my fight camp. 
just I put your podcast in my ears and took me running. And I was like, wow, man, that's fucking awesome. Great. Good, good fight. That was so cool. That's really great. And I turned around and all of a sudden just out of the middle of my belly just came tears. I was just bawling. I was standing at the fight show trying to watch the fights happen. Fuck it. And I, I know, what a fucking homo. <laughs> you pussy. <laughs> I was trying to hold it together. Add this bit out. This is so embarrassing. What you cried. <laughs> Go on. And so it was like one of those moments where I... It, it it was so intense and meaningful that it, it took a few seconds for me to even let it in and realize what had just happened. And just the simple fact that that's the kind of validation you're actually looking for. I don't. It's not somebody liking your page or sharing your shit around or whatever. Mm. It's like that a human being was struggling with something and they got through it because they had your voice in their head. So whatever you're doing that you think you're not sure if there's any meaning or point in it and then all of a sudden somebody feeds it back to you and goes, yes, there is point to what you're doing. That's when you're like, oh, okay, this is why I do this. Because mm. we're social creatures at the end of the day. You still need a little bit of a feedback loop. If you don't have the feedback loop, like me just sitting in my room drawing all day, which I did for six months, I, I just made paintings. I made paintings and I wrote a book and I felt great about it. It wow. was fucking Good awesome. Work. It was like I didn't have to go to work because I'd saved up a whole bunch of money and I just sat at home. I went to training in the evenings and just did that and that's all I did. And I felt so lonely so self-indulgent. I might as well have just been masturbating all day. Well, you wouldn't have pretty paintings left. That's true, but nobody was going to see them, and nobody still has seen a lot of them. Because it's like, I think there's two sides to that. I think you, you have to have the connection to it, but also you have to be a participant in this world. You have to have the confidence to know that what you're doing is valuable enough to be seen by the world. It's okay if no one gives a fuck about it, but that you create something and don't just hoard it for yourself. Uh, I don't know. I I'm think not there's convinced. an element in that. I think, I think it's true for the creation. Like if I do a beautiful comedy set, I want it out there. I think it's true for the art form. But there's another, another form of validation, which is the, the real deep self-validation, which is mm. probably true, real in-depth meditation. Like if somebody does Vipassana, which I highly recommend mm. for all beings then I suppose forgiveness is a, is a word we could use. You start to see all things that you have done or negative thoughts that you have had or do have. Yeah. And you can sort of they disintegrate, you know, because you, you, you start to not hold on to stuff anymore. You really let stuff go, like genuinely, not actively, oh, I'm letting that go now. Oh, yeah, I forgive yeah. that person. It un, unfolds within you and there's a real place of peace within us. And if we can access that, that validation. I'm guessing. I've. Never, I mean, I've had moments of it in my life, but I'm guessing maybe higher beings, and I mean higher beings as in humans, who who are reaching a, like a state of genuine forgiveness and love for all beings, mm. probably could sit in doors for six months or a year or yeah, two and years the, and, and, and be really be okay. and really happy because I think they'd be permeating with joy. Yeah. In a state, because they don't need have a need for like you, you could put them in prison, and they'd still be. Gandhi, yeah. Gandhi'd probably still be. Yeah, he'd Gandhi. do all right. Yeah, he'd be fine in prison. They should have just locked him up. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> well, yeah, man. I, I think, I think you're absolutely right. I think, and that's kind of the essence of well, as as far as Buddhism is concerned, that's the end goal. That's the job of the human being incarnate. Your find happiness. Your job is to find within. that place within yourself. And I don't think it is within. I think you do find it within, and it is within. But I think it also helps others. Regardless, mm. even if you don't meet, even if they don't meet you, I think if somebody was meditating 
next door to you and meditating and finding true happiness, mm. I believe based on no facts or no science whatsoever that that would help you too. I think that that state being near you could only be good for you. Mm. Yeah, and well, it's a similar thing. Like if you're trying to punch smoke, you can't hit it. You can't cause any harm. So if somebody... <laughs> You know, like the conscious person, say you compare them to smoke and the non-conscious person, the person that's like acting out of aggression and they try and punch the smoke and nothing happens, then, you know, you've immediately stopped an altercation where two unconscious people would, one would punch a head and the head would rock back and then the other punch would come. And that's the idea. Like the more people that are meditated um, or at least introspective enough to understand that their self isn't as important as what they think it is, that when they go out into the world, they could be more like smoke. They could more or less bounce off each other and not care so much. Mm. And then it stops that, you know, the insatiable need for uh, buying stuff, getting validation, fucking people around, not, you know, disrespecting (sighs) other people, not, not connecting to people around you in a meaningful way. All of the things that we are lacking usually come from this sense of self that me, my thing is more important than everything else's thing. Because at the end of the day, the idea of existing really is bigger than everything else. And we forgot that because the idea of the individual now suddenly is the most important thing. Thank you. (laughs) Are we done here? (laughs) Are we? I was just saying thanks because you were saying about how important I am. Finally, you've done full circle. Oh, yeah, finally I realized. You said I didn't matter, and then you realized that actually I, as an individual... And that's the validation I need. So just go with me on this one. Go with, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you're all right. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> that's the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me. <laughs> um, so what are you doing? You've got a couple more shows. You got Sunday night at and the Palm Beach Hotel. So if anybody's on the Gold Coast, they can Ooh, come watch you then. I'm going to come back to based B A S E D based comedy gigs. Mm. They're really cool. I'm glad that they booked me. I've got something on in Sydney in Candy's apartment. Oh, cool. Then I'm doing Asia tours. Yeah, just check me out on www.aidenkillian.com. Dot com. And you're on Facebook, Aiden Killian. Yeah, face fuck me to bits. That's the worst. Yeah. What? Instagram? I'm on it, but I've never, never really got into it. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, I don't really, I don't get it yet. I'm just behind. I, th- I know it's the new thing, but. Uh, it's just, just all of it's exhausting. Don't worry. I'm already addicted to too much to fucking messengers, so I'm out. Yeah. No more. Twitter, I hate that one. Yeah, I've never done it. Yeah, oh, it's really boring. (laughs) Fair enough. Here's my view. Oh, God. At least least, least with... More people with opinions. That's what we need in this world. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's a really interesting view. Oh, so glad I spent the last six hours on Twitter. Okay, right. Oh, well, um, it was great to see you again, man. I'm glad yeah. that you're back here. And any time you come around this way, I'll... I'll be back in a year and a bit, maybe. Yeah. And if anyone's over in Thailand training, they come see you in Bangkok. Yeah, do. Come and hang out with me. I have no friends there, so that'll be good. Well, you don't have any friends anywhere, but... Well, well yeah, that's true. <laughs> All right, we'll see you soon. See you later. Hi again. That was Aiden Killian. If you'd like to see more of what he does and what he gets up to, go to AidenKillian.com. We also talked about the book, The Artist's Way, and Zealot by Riza Aslan. So uh, I've got those things listed on my website on this post if you'd like to see that. And uh, if you enjoyed this podcast and you want to keep going with this podcast or whatever, um, share it around to your friends, tell your friends, 
I don't know, like the post, validate me via social media so that I know I'm not just talking into a void. And if you really, really liked it, you can go to Patreon and support it. I'm not really talking about this too much because, uh, I don't know. I just figure if you made it all the way to the end and you enjoyed this enough, you might be a person that's interested in supporting it. Otherwise, I'm not trying to pump this out to too many other people because it feels embarrassing to me. But if you liked it enough that you'd want to buy me or Adian, Adian, <laughs> Adian a coffee, then you can do that via Patreon for five bucks a month for the cost of a coffee a month. You can help support this and get it off its feet. We are going to try to do a live podcast at some point at the end of this year or next year. So the more people that listen to the podcast, the more people that help it out, the greater these things will become. And I really appreciate it because uh, as I said at the start, it's one of those things that I just fucking love this thing and it means a lot to me and I want to keep it going. All right. Thanks again for listening. Hope you have a great week and we'll talk to you again soon.